Well, happy Canada Day to each one of you. You know, I love Canada, and I'm sure that you are also a privileged person. Most of us, I believe, here tonight uh, were born here, but a number of us have chosen Canada to be our home country. And uh, we're just delighted and so privileged. My granddaughter moved to the States a year ago, and already she's calling herself an American. And she's learning and saying the uh, allegiance to the flag and all that kind of stuff. But you know, I love Canada, but I also love the church. And also the people of the church. A lot of people say to me, how are things going at Rexdale? And I say, things are fine. And and the people are even wonderful. (laughs) And that kind of catches them off guard for a while. And I don't know why. They're just expecting the normal, you know, everything's fine. And I love the church, and I'm thankful that I really know nothing else but the church. Because my parents were first-generation Christians. By that I mean, uh, ever since they were small, they went to church once or twice a year, just like changing the oil in your car once or twice a year, whether you need it or not. And, but it wasn't until just before they got married in 1939 that they came to know about the love of God that we've been singing about today and came into a personal relationship with Jesus Christ and became a follower of him. And it was just uh, when I was born in the last century. (laughs) No, I don't think you should laugh about that. Here's what I want you to do. Everyone who was born in the last century, I want you to stand. (laughs) The crones don't know whether they were born in the last century or not. In fact, no, come on, you need some exercise, stand up. The only ones to sit down are those who were not born in the last millennium. Oh, there's some back here that are still deciding how old they are. Okay, you may stand, sit down. You know, it's kind of hard to get your head around that. But shortly after I was born, my parents dedicated me to God and they made some vows before God and before the people. And they desired to fulfill that throughout my life and to expose me to everything possible that I might become a follower of God. And they prayed for me right from the beginning, right to the end of their lives. And I miss that now because both of them are gone. They read to me the word of God. One thing that they committed themselves to, that they would take me faithfully to the house of God, to be surrounded by the people of God. And there I, they took me into the nursery, and I'm sure you would like to have been a... a a leader when I was in the nursery, and into the youth program or the children's program. And there I learned to memorize scriptures. And I was um, exposed to many people who had committed themselves and partnered together with the ministry there in order to equip and train people, children, to become Christ followers. And then I got into the youth program and all the different activities there from the quizzing to the Bible studies to the, the sports, the camps. And, I, and the leaders there that invested their time, their energy, their resources, and their toys for us kids. And I remember one time, one of the youth leaders took us out to water ski with, her, with his boat. And I was sure glad that he was driving the boat when he ran over that rock and broke the propeller. But you know, I remember his response of how he just laughed it off. I've been in situations where Something like that's happened. They said, I don't know why I ever give my time to these young people or do anything for the church. All they do is mess up my stuff. But for some reason, that was indelibly placed upon my mind, his response. And maybe that has helped me down through the years. I think of even my grandchildren. I've taught all of them how to ride a bicycle. The two, three-year-old twins are just getting on their trainer wheels now, so they're not fully engaged yet. But my oldest one, Ian, who's going to be, in fact, he's going to be 14 tomorrow. We're going to be celebrating that. But I remember as I taught him to to ride, and then I brought him home with us. And wouldn't you know that his bike that I purchased for him, the handlebars had no knobs on the end. It was just steel. And I said, Ian, don't go down the the driveway between our two cars. And what did he do? He drove down between the two cars, going from one side to the other. And if you look at my matrix, there's about a three-foot gouge along one 
door. And my wife has been asking me for the last couple of years to get that fixed. But being Scotch that I am, and it costs about $400 to replace it, to repair it. Uh, it's not, but it's another thing. It's a reminder of, of when I had that day. Because I could have said some things and tarred and feathered him that he would remember for the rest of his life. And as I remember the response of that youth pastor or that youth leader, maybe he might re- remember that response because every time he sees the car, he sees that gouge uh, there. But you know, it was as my parents fulfilled their vows to take me to the house of God, having me surrounded by Christ's followers, worshiping together, praying together, reaching out to the community together, just like I did last week in the, in the fun fair observing the family of God working together and laying hands upon those in our congregation who felt God's call upon them to go to other countries of the world as missionaries to proclaim the good news and upon those who were going out to the pastoral ministry. And years later, they partnered also together to lay hands upon myself and, to, and Betty as we went into pastoral ministry heading for missions. And they sent us off to the furthest Alliance Church in Canada, get us further away in case we did any damage, no one will whatever know. And my parents partnered together and vowed to live before me a godly life. Oh, they weren't perfect. But they were putting into practice the principles of discipleship, of being authentic worshipers. See, we had a steel, family steel fabrication and welding business, and from the time I was old enough to hold a torch, I had to work there in the shop. And as a child growing up, church meetings and gatherings always came first. I could not work if there was a youth program going on. If there was a time later on in youth, in our youth ministries, when we were going out and taking services and I'd prepare for a message, Dad would say, you, you have to get home, you have to, can't work. You need to prepare. And I knew how much money he was losing with me not working. And being with and fellowshipping with God's people took priority over work. Whenever there was special services at the church, we were always there. I think of one time on a Saturday night, a person phoned our home and said, Bert, my truck is broken down. We've had a spindle break off and I need to be at work on Monday morning. It's my livelihood. I need to be, you need to fix it for me. And he said to him, he said, when did this happen? He said, Friday night. He says, where were you today? He says, I was at the beach with my family. Well, that's a noble thing to do. And my father said, well, I'll be at church tomorrow with my family. And if this is important to you to be on the road on Monday morning, you would have been here today. And then he backed off a little bit and he says, can you get the truck here tonight? Because nothing comes on the property or goes off the property on Saturdays. So that's what he did. And so on the Sunday, we did our religious routine all day Sunday. 11 o'clock service. And you know why 11 o'clock service was established? Because the farmers had to milk the cows and in order to get to church in time, they had 11 o'clock. And then we'd go home and you'd have to feed the cattle in order to go back in the afternoon to Sunday school. To go back home to milk the cows and to feed, the, feed them to then come back to the evening service. And then after the evening service, often we went down to the, the Own Sound City Hall and we put on um, street corner meetings where we played our instruments and sang and gave, gave our testimonies. Then went home, got a little bit of rest, 12 o'clock, pretty well sharp. We got up and started working on this truck to get this guy on the road. Now, you might say my father's a little bit uh, legalistic, maybe so, but I'm so thankful for his stand, for what he practiced, we practiced together as a family and what he believed in, how he partnered with the fellowship of believers. You know, he could never get up and speak from a pulpit. He could never get up and share a gospel message, but he could usher people into worship. He could repair things behind the scenes, and everyone knew by his work ethic, and it's by his lifestyle where he stood with God. And that was so demonstrated at his funeral. And why do I share these personal stories with you? Because I've been so blessed 
to have had the experience of fellowship and community really all my life. And that's what we're talking about today, that we were created for community, for fellowship. And so often when we talk about fellowship, we think of having coffee and a donut just cascading with cholesterol, being just hanging out with people. And you know, that is an integrable part of it. In fact, in our Imagine Building program, you may know that we're, going, we're building a cafe just inside that new entrance there by the elevator. And this is a place where people are going to be able to fellowship with one another, going to be able to connect with one another. Reg Moore passed away just a month ago, and we had his service in the memorial fund that the people wanted to give to, to it would go toward that, the, the furniture of that cafe because the furniture isn't part of the Imagine campaign. And, and Reg was one who loved to go out with people and connect with them over coffee. And some of the furniture is a legacy of Reg toward connectedness, developing fellowship here at Rexdale. Now the word fellowship or community is a definition or translation from the Greek, from this Greek word koinonia. And of course you can, uh, there's various derivatives of this word in the Bible, and you see such things to partner with. It means to fellowship that we so often refer to it as uh, being associated with, participating in something together so that you take on a responsibility and ownership as if it was your own. And so tonight we are on the whole focus on this whole aspect of that each one of us were created for fellowship. Fellowship with God tonight, fellowship with Christ, and fellowship with one another. So first of all, Talking about fellowship with God. We've been singing all about the love of God tonight. And every one of us was made for the purpose of bringing honor and glory to the the Creator, to our Creator. And in Revelation chapter 4, verse 11, a song that we used to sing a number of times here where it says, "He He has created all things, and it is for His pleasure that we exist and were created. Do you realize that? That you exist... And you are created for God's pleasure. In Genesis chapter 1, God is talking and he says, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. He thought so much about us that he made us that we might represent him and partner with him in representing him to a world. Even in Acts Chapter 2, verse 42, where it talks about the early church being established. It said, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching, prayer, and fellowship. And it's through the Word of God that we come to know the, the God of the Word. We learn how to fellowship with Him. We learn how to partner with Him and live that out in our daily lives so that we can truly sing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. But you know, you can't come into a, a fellowship relationship with a holy God apart from coming into that fellowship with Jesus Christ. And ever since mankind and you and I have turned our back on God, who made us to be fruitful and and fulfilled, as we live here on, on earth, God has been on a mission to restore that relationship to himself. And so... Even as we look at the the, uh, papers today or we listen to the news, it's nothing but violations of the rules that God has set down in his word of how we can have a relationship with him. That of robberies and that of killings and child molestation, the breaking of relationships and hurting one another. And the only way back to God and a wholesome life with him is through the what Jesus Christ did for us in dying on the cross and paying the penalty for our sins. He paid the ultimate sacrifice in order that we might have life and have it more abundantly. We have that verse, the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life. And Jesus paid the ultimate sacrifice in order that we might have that relationship back with a holy God. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 9 says, God who has called you into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, is faithful. God is the one who's called us into fellowship with his son, Jesus Christ. 
And so as we look at this whole aspect of fellowship with Christ, we want to look at three aspects. That of obedience. In order to have fellowship with God, it's in obedience, in service, and in suffering. And first of all, in obedience. You know, we can't have fellowship with God. We cannot have fellowship with Christ apart from obeying Him. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow me. They obey Him. 1 John chapter 2, verse 3 says, We know that we have come to know Him if we obey His commandments. We are singing about the love of God and His wonderful love. And we say that we love Him, but He says if we do not love Him, the man who says, I know Him, but does not do what He commands is a liar, and the truth is not in Him. But if anyone obeys His word, God's love is truly made complete in him. And then another passage in Luke chapter 6, verse 46, says, why could you call me Lord, Lord, and do not the things that I say? And you know, I have to evaluate my own self. Am I obeying him? And I sing and I say, he is Lord, but am I obeying him? Jesus gave instructions to his disciples and to you and me which is really embedded in our own mission statement, as you see on the the wall there, where he gave it to them and said, go and make disciples. How do you do that? By baptizing them and teaching them to obey. A disciple is a follower, a one who obeys the master. We cannot have fellowship with anyone if we cannot come to grips and oneness with each other enjoy being in each other's presence. And we've got to have fellowship with God, no matter what our external form might be, if we're not obeying Him. So in partnering with Christ, first in obedience. Secondly, in service. Now this aspect of fellowship is so demonstrated here at Rexdale. You know, when we come into fellowship with Christ as our Savior, as the forgiver of our sins and become a child of His, no longer is He an outspoken, side influence but he's an indwelling presence and power and he naturally indwells us and he's wanting to live his life out through us jesus came not to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many and you know this past year uh in the training of our lay pastors the whole aspect was on servanthood and just as a, a symbol to remind them of what they're Ministry is. It's not to lord it over a group, but they're to be servants. To serve the group, to serve the individuals, to help them become authentic worshipers. And that is what he's called each one of us to do. And secondly, the whole aspect of the, uh, the church is like a toolbox. And all the tools necessary to accomplish the task that God has given us, the mission that God has given to us, is in His church, in Rexdale. And if you go about the construction site, you'll see toolboxes from the different trades. And in fact, if you're here at 7 o'clock in the morning, you'll see the different trades streaming in here and individuals coming in with their toolboxes, with all the tools necessary to accomplish the task that they have for the day. And Rexdale also is like a toolbox, God's toolbox, where he's imparted all the tools necessary to fulfill the calling that God has placed upon us to make disciples of many peoples who will follow Jesus Christ in authentic worship. And we're committed to that. But you know, the big question is whether we're willing to allow the tool that God has imparted to us, the gift that God has imparted to us, to be used in service and in partnership and used to the capacity to which it was created. Whether we're willing to allow our potential to be unleashed. And all of us know what this is. What's this? It's a hammer. What's it used for? Driving in nails, pulling out nails. And in the hand of a master craftsman, it's amazing what you can even do with a hammer. And one thing that is used around here these days especially, what's this? It's kind of a trowel. 
It's not the one I was really looking for, but, uh, you know, there's thousands of square feet of gyp rock that's being put on right now that we're starting to paint. And you should see those gyp rock installers and how they can use these trowels to put the mud on. And they're so efficient that they hardly need to have any of it sanded before they put the second coat on. But when they do need that, then they go to the sander. Because it has been designed and set apart, sanctified, whatever term you want, to accomplish the particular task to which it was made. And you know that's the same in the family of God. God has gifted each one of us. But you know, one does not have to be a follower of God to have partnership and connection with others when it is around a cause that you own. And I think of our Imagine uh, building program. It's been a privilege to be part of the building committee over the past 12 months. And I've seen this displayed in so many ways as we work together with the different trades. Now it's down that every Tuesday morning, 8.30, all the trade heads meet together to go over what is happening, what needs to happen. So whether it is the, the, the electricians, the, the plumbers, the architect, the structural engineers, uh, the construction foreman, foreman, we gather together to find out what tools that we're going to need to accomplish the task, fulfill the task that they, they've been called to, to, to uh, provide the building that we've asked for them. And all of us have been part of a community partnering together for this task. We're not just constructing a new facility, but we're marrying the old to the new, and it's, it's not always in the same plans. And so we're not able to do the things what we thought we were able to do. And sometimes we have to go back to the drawing board. And there has to be a lot of give and take. No one is there just to, uh, for their own uh, ego and to have it their own way. They're all there for the good of the congregation to build a building that will meet the code standards. And I haven't found any arguments of people getting their nose out of joint because they've had to go back to the drawing board. Give it another shot. And I thought, isn't that so beautiful? Isn't that how the church needs to be operating? And I've been waiting with men that I've never met before. But because the calmest cause and calmest purpose, the same goal, we're drawn together now even as friends, as partners together, so that all the parts fit. You recall that earth excavator that sat perched up on top of that mound over the Christmas holidays? And then shortly uh, around that time, we see that it did an amazing, amazing work as it excavated 160 loads of dirt. Now, some of us admired the hole. We appreciate the work done. But today it's all filled in. You wouldn't even know there was a hole. Few people even know there was there. But if that hole hadn't been dug, it wouldn't be the reality of what we're experiencing even today as that operator with the skills of his hand dug all that stuff out. He saw the blueprints, what it would eventually look like. And is that operator or that machine upset today because there's no evidence that they were here? No. They're proud to be part of that which, is, that which has become of that hole in the ground. And then there were the caissons that were drilled another 10 feet in, into the ground, never to be seen again unless the leadership in 30 years decide to dig it up again. But it's all covered over with gravel and, and cement and carpet or tiles. But you know, those caissons are on duty 24-7. Every minute, supporting the structure that is on it. And it's the carpet and the paint and the aesthetics that are going to get all the accolades. No one will know that there are even caissons there. Never be mentioned. You know, one of the trade leaders let me know in no uncertain terms he doesn't believe in all this God stuff. And I responded to him that, well, I don't think it would do him any harm. In fact, if you don't believe in the God stuff, you mustn't believe in the God money, so therefore you should do it for free. <laughs> and as I sat with those different 
trade workers, all working together, interfacing with each other. I just said, man, this is the way the church needs to operate and should operate. And I've seen it operating like this in so many ways in this construction time. There's so many in our fellowship and community that work behind the scenes. I think of the building committee under the leadership of Keith Atman. The beautification committee under the leadership of Marcia Bergman. All those of you who have been helping with the painting and you see in the bulletin that we're really gearing up because now the offices are starting to get painted. In fact, I, mine got painted before Sooners did. Um, I think of the Francavilla family who gave of their time to put up the gyprock in the old uh, youth, office, uh, youth room because it's not really part of the Imagine campaign. There are those who have been partnering together to keep the ministries strong in the children's area, the youth area, the adult area. And throughout the uh, construction, there's been the changing of venues and not able to meet in the same room all the time. And people have said to me, well, don't people get upset? And I just said, well, our people, we just assume our people are Christians. Well, they say, well, aren't we all? And I said, not the way some of us act. Some of us, some of us respond, it's not Christ-like. And we shouldn't call ourselves that. And I'm so encouraged and so proud of the privilege God has given to me be part of this church and this fellowship as we partner together in ministry. See, the body of Christ is like that. And God has reached down and he's touched each one of you and invites each one of you to be part of his family, of his fellowship. For some of you, wherever you are, he might be still reaching down and inviting you to come on his team inviting you to transfer your trust from your own self and receive his forgiveness. And he wants you to be part of the body of Christ and more particularly even here at, at Rexdale. So be part of building the beautiful temples of God. Not that, but because of what is happening out there. And the young people that are going to be there, the children are there, and as soon as it's reported about these people who have uh, crossed the line of faith. See, all of us, our bodies are the temples in which he dwells. And as you and I partner together in ministry with one another, we're temple builders. And I just thank God for those who partnered together down through the years with much frustration and everything else be part, be part of the per, per, uh, construction in my life whether it was my parents, whether it was my Sunday school teachers, children's leaders, my youth leaders, my pastors, the peers, leaders of the ch my church, the friends of my parents that, who invest in my life and they don't know and never will know the impact they've had upon me. And then men like the founder of this church, Ross Ingram, and I remember as a young person going to some youth activities and Ross was very much part of some of those youth activities in the, before they had youth pastors. They're in our district. And then later him investing in starting a church in, in Coburg and then coming here to Rexdale, starting the church here. And then leaving the comforts of this good growing church to go to England to a very small situation to establish works there in England. It worked, served there for 10 years and then came back to Canada and I had the privilege of having him come on staff with me as our church was just growing and was beyond what I could do. And, and though, even though I was his boss, I saw him as my mentor as he modeled servanthood and submission and godliness. And God used him to help move me into greater fruitfulness. And then the second pastor of this church, uh, Bud Downey, along with Pastor Sunder and the elders board, risked to have me come and partner 
with you here for the last 16 and a half years and what a ride this has been to be further molded by men and women and pastoral staff be formed into his image after his likeness. And there's some of you that are looking at me tonight and said that I'm still in that program of trying to mold you into what you should be. But because of your faithfulness in serving God through your giftedness, some of you are not publicly acknowledged like others are. And you might feel like you're a little cog in the wheel, but if that little cog wasn't functioning, this church would not be what it is today. And we as a church have partnered together within the common cause of our Imagine campaign. And for many, this has brought people together that would never be brought together in serving with one another. And together we've been giving monies even to the leadership development. And I think of what's been happening with our, this Ambrose University College, which is the new name of Canadian Bible College, Canadian Theological Seminary in, in, uh, in Calgary. And Damien Lee came to our church as a layperson, I guess. And he partnered with us in various ministries, especially in the music ministry, and felt God's calling upon him to train for vocational ministry. So he goes to Ambrose University College, becomes student president of the seminary. And just a couple months ago, graduated from there. And this is when this picture was taken also, where as part of that leadership team there, was part of the groundbreaking ceremony where they're building their new facilities there. And we as our Imagine campaign have already invested about $200,000 in that. And Darlene and, and Damien right now are in Indonesia uh, pastoring the international church. Is it Bandung? Bandung, Indonesia. And you know that Pastor Sooner was just there to a week and a half ago ministering there for a week or so and they were not only remember we were reminded of the partnering together here at Rexdale but they were being able to partner together in ministry as he's taught and, and preached and Damien and Darlene led them in worship and what a tremendous partnership that was and the effect that that had upon so many they're coming back to uh, Canada to Edmonton where he's going to be the pastor of the English congregation of the, the uh, Edmonton Chinese Alliance Church. But not only them, but we had, uh, you may know, uh, Samantha uh, Corbell, who went to the schools out there too to get her education, but she also got her MRS, and she and her new husband are now the youth pastor and wife of one of our Edmonton area Alliance churches, the St. Albert Alliance Church. And Robin Chu, some of you know her, has also gone out to be a pastor, youth pastor's wife in a church in Edmonton. This is Rexdale's extended mission field, must be in the Edmonton area. And that's all because you people have partnered together in giving vision for others. We've also partnered with a group of people who became the, the uh, steering committee and then the, the seed people for our upper room community church and and they are partnering together with all the businesses around them this weekend tomorrow and i trust that if you have the opportunity to go there just to encourage them are you involved with them tomorrow so here's rexdale partnering with our daughter church i would be up there if it wasn't for priority number one is my grand first number one grandson given the birthday tomorrow um but they are just so appreciative of us continuing to partner with them. Not only that, part of our imagined monies have gone to the establishment of this whole new ministry uh, in Canridge. And, you know, I was so impressed as I went down there today to see how many of our people were involved in reaching out to these people who are less fortunate than we are to help in the process of making them authentic worshipers. See, these are all part of our service, our partnering, and our fellowshiping with Christ in service, allowing him by his Holy Spirit to work through us to help become, people become authentic worshipers. Well, the third aspect of fellowship with Christ is that is in his suffering. Philippians chapter 3, verse 10 says, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection 
and the fellowship of sharing in his suffering, becoming like him in his death. And the message puts it this way. I gave up all that inferior stuff so I could know Christ personally, experience his resurrection power, be a partner with him in suffering. And I'm sure that if you look at that verse, you can say, boy, that's my desire to know him personally and to experience his resurrection power. But if you're anything like me, you're not necessarily looking forward to partnering with him in suffering. I don't like suffering. And as Christ follower, we're Christ's representatives on the world, in this world. And there will be those who oppose what we believe and what we stand for. And some of you may already be getting, have opposition from family members, friends, the people you work with. Maybe that's part of Christ's sufferings that you're able to partner with him in. Jesus Christ, remember his religious leaders, the religious leaders and even his own disciples turned on him. Os Guinness in his book, uh, The Long Journey Home, says, and the astonishing fact that at the end of the 20th century, the Christian faith was the most studied and the most persecuted faith in the world. In other countries of the world, those who are Christ followers are the, are the target. If you look at Puri's letter, you see how the, some of the Christians in Sri Lanka are being targeted. Uh, the Bradleys shared with us a couple of few weeks ago and how people were killed because they were Christians or because they were not Muslims. Sakin Savien, who was former pastor of our Cambodian congregation, have been over there training leaders. And we're going to hear some of their story, first of all by DVD and then by person. Let us listen to this. Soap and Savi Aim, born as Cambodians. When we were still young, Cambodia fell into the hands of the Khmer Rouge. Along with many other Cambodians, we suffered from April 1975 to January 1979. We worked long hours on little sleep and not enough food. Savi's dad was put to death by the Khmer Rouge, and her sister died during this regime also. I lost my parents and two brothers during that time. In October 1979, we escaped to a refugee camp in Thailand. March 14, 1980, we both came to know Jesus as our Lord and Savior. We were in the refugee camp in Thailand for five years when we had the opportunity to grow as Christians and begin to serve the Lord until we moved to Canada in 1985. We planted a church in Hamilton, Ontario and worked there until 1996 when we moved back to our home village in Cambodia. During that time we visited our home village a couple of times and led some relatives to Christ. From 1996 to 1999 we planted seven churches in our home village, conducted a Bible training module for developing leaders and built a school, churches, and a child care center. From 2000 to 2005, I pastored Toronto Cambodian Alliance Church, supervised by the Rexdale Alliance Church. In March 2006, the Lord called us back to Cambodia. This time it was not for planning churches, but for training Christian leaders. According to a report from the General Secretary, of the Evangelical Fellowship of Cambodia. There are over 2,000 churches in Cambodia. Less than 2% of the local churches can support themselves, and about 80% of the local pastors are inadequate as Christian leaders. He told of a pastor who came to register his church at the EFC. When interviewed, it was found that he had very little knowledge of God and the Bible. Reverend Hang Cheng asked him how he became a pastor. He said, that it was because no one was leading this particular group of people and he had to step up and everyone in the group also appointed him. We saw that there was a great need to train pastors. We began to work alongside the Kampong Chenang Evangelical Alliance with eight churches. Our plan was to open a Bible school. 
we started with just this piece of property and the existing building. We prayed and our partners prayed and God began to provide. By God's grace, we were able to finish renovating the building into classrooms and office space. At the same time, we were busy laying the groundwork for the future school. An extensive leadership and Bible survey was conducted with 24 pastors and Christian leaders. We were also involved in various related ministries in the churches, such as a five-day seminar on a pastor and his works, a first fruit celebration, ongoing pastor training of KCEA pastors, preaching one or two times a month, an International Women's Day celebration where Soap taught on the women's role in the local church. Once the building was completed in January 2007, we hosted our first seminar on urban ministry. What are our next steps? Before we begin official classes at Tahas Bible Institute, we would like to dig a well and build a kitchen. The first two years, we will train those who are currently pastoring in the area. They will come to the Institute for two-week modules once a quarter. We hope to hold our first module this fall. The plan is to add a dormitory so that we can run a two-year full-time program. We need your partnership in prayer and in finances, both for our personal ministry and for building projects. Thank you so much for uh, the opportunity to share with you uh, with uh, the DVD first, and I come here to sh to uh, give my appreciation to uh, the pastor staff and also Rexdale um, uh, Church, and we are part of uh, this church since we came back from Cambodia in uh, early 2000. And thank you so much for uh, um, uh, partner uh, together with us in prayer, also in financial support. And um, in the initial uh, 12 months, major achievement uh, for the ministry that God calling us back to Cambodia. Um, the ministry levels, the priority we acquire, including building, renovating, classroom, and office, completed in Jan last January. And uh, 131 question survey was present to look the local pastor determine their need. The, uh, the survey result will be uh, very useful for creating uh, appropriate and relevant curriculum. And we uh, did that. Also the uh, number three is um, the operation permit has been granted by the um, government. And for um, this uh, 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 operation permit is when I um, start to uh, thinking about uh, um, training pastor and have the Bible school, um, I, I pray for that for, because it's hard to ask for permit. And if we have permit, we have to, have to spend a lot of money to get that. Because the Cambodian government, they like to work uh, under the table. But we praise the Lord that we have the permit, just pay un under $10 US. That, that, that uh, make me uh, amazed how God works. How God work in in the heart of the the people working in the government, they allow us to have the permit, and uh, the seminar were conducted outside and inside the TBI, and so I uh, uh, teach, uh, taught, uh, preach also in various uh, gathering and churches, and also uh, number six I went. 
with the group to evangelize in the community. And I organized Bible study, and Savi also helped to organize the women group um, in the uh, community church there. Also, and also ongoing uh, uh, um, training with uh, KCA uh, pastor. And our prayer request, our prayer is that the need, the support will be adequate to support this transaction um, this past um, 12 months that we uh, went just a short term, but um, we will go back uh, in uh, full, ter- full term is uh, four years. Um, we pray that God uh, will provide uh, enough um, support to go back. Uh, God will provide more partner to join hand with us and with Tahas Bible Institute. Number two, we uh, ask to pray for the financial support we will met soon that we able uh, be able to return back in in August as planned. Three, we ask to uh, pray for the module uh, at um, the Haas Bible Institute will start um, this fall. And number five, uh, uh, number four, for the registration, preparation, and teacher for the classes for the first module this fall. And number five, uh, we ask for pray for our return back in August uh, um, as uh, planned. Number six, we um, for the building a school and uh, a cafeteria and dining hall, digging a well for the school water. Now our, our friend and partner in uh, this church gave us 1500 for the well, but we still need uh, the basin uh, to... Uh, stock the water, so it costs about the same. And number seven, also Dr. Gumball told us that before we return back this time, we have to have vaccinate to protect Japanese and Sepalites. Each of us had to, uh, because the OHIP not cover, had to pay $375 for a shot. And and also, when we return, we really need um, an aircraft to use for personal use, also for the ministry. Uh, the cost is about uh, 5,000 uh, US dollar or 6,000. Please continue to pray for our three children and our uh, grand, uh, grandchildren also that they will renew their faith and come to cry with uh, full submission. And these things that we've heard about what has been accomplished is partly due because we've partnered with them in uh, uh, some finances and some prayer. And as they go back, could, and, and following this service tonight at the back, they have these forms that you can fill out so that you can say, I want to partner with you in prayer. I'm wanting to partner with you, even financially. $5 a month, they need about $1,000 a month yet. And uh, what is $5, $10, $50 a month, you're able to do that. Let's pray for them. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your call upon Sock and Savvy's life, their faithfulness in going and seeing what you have accomplished through their faithfulness uh, this past year. And we thank you that we've been able to partner with them a little bit, even through our Imagine campaign, because this was unexpected that it's come upon us and we saw that we can have an investment in the leadership training there in Cambodia. And I just pray that you will uh, just continue to anoint our brother and sister as they prepare and go back, that they will be able to raise their funds and raise the support they need for a fruitful ministry of training others who will in turn train others. In Jesus' name, amen.
Lastly, the whole aspect of fellowship with one another. We're just, time is going, so we're just going to have to be able to touch on this here. The whole aspect of how does this happen? The Bible talks so much about loving one another, caring for one another. In fact, in the New Testament, there were times when people came to the church and said, Behold how they love one another. And I've heard that expression here even at Rexdale. Your people really like each other. May that continue. The whole aspect of serving together. And we see this so much. And even right now, uh, this last week and this week, the young people gathering together, the leaders, in partnership to be able to, to lead the, the day camp coming up. We think of what happened in the fun fair and the garage sale with Vidian, Bert Van Lang, and all the dozens of youth who helped last week ago. They just teamed in here. We thank you so much for that. And the, whole, the last aspect is that of community. One of our core values is that of having holistic community. Six to 12 people gathering together regularly in small groups in geographic locations for fellowship and connectedness. People need to be connected. In a church this size, you don't need to know everybody, but you need to know some people. And it's gathering where you're able to get to know people and be known by others. A place where you're able to love people and be loved by others. A place where you're able to walk through other people's struggles and they through yours. And come September, the small groups will start up again, and I trust that you'll commit yourself to one of these. Not just for your own benefit, but for the benefit of the body. Because God has called us into fellowship one with another. To love one another, to serve one another, and to be in community. You and I were created for community. And when we're using the tools that God has given to us, and we're fellowship with God and with one another, and with Christ, when the church is working right, There's no place like it. And may Rexdale be so. Amen. Just remember as you go that Sock and Savvy will be out there and if it's nothing more than just picking up that paper and taking it home and saying, how can I partner and continue what we're imagining that God's going to do, not only here, but in not only building facilities there, but building the kingdom of God in in, uh, Cambodia. And so as a congregation, I just want to bless you for being a faithful team member of Rexdale Alliance Church. And for those of you who have yet not committed yourselves to the team that God has brought you to, I want to bless you with a willingness to do whatever it takes to moving from being a spectator to being a participator and see what God's going to do in the future. God bless you as you go.